Well, this morning's text, Philippians chapter 3, begins in verse 12. But for us to grab the full understanding, let's back up a few verses and just uh, reread through verse 7 all the way through 21 so that our, our minds are getting the big picture again. Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything we have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to us. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Our aim today is that that we would press on in our faith so that we would lay hold of Christ both in present sanctification and for eternal glory with Christ. We must Press on in our faith so that we may lay hold of Christ, both in our present sanctification and for our eternal glory with Christ. Now, what I don't want to do this morning is to inform you how you might lay hold of Christ or even give you steps for laying hold of Christ. The goal this morning of this sermon is that you will be laying hold of Christ as he is proclaimed to you this morning through the scriptures. Let's not set our minds on how we might in the future lay hold of Christ, but let's now, as we engage God's Word, be laying hold of Christ. Perhaps you will remember last week when we saw in Philippians chapter 3, back in verses 5 and 6, when Paul recited his Jewish credentials, saying that if any man has ever had reason to put confidence in the flesh, Paul said, I have far more. But we also know what Paul said in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. We know that Paul was willing to lose all those credentials. 
But let's be reminded of what Paul gained in their place. He said more than that in verse 8. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is derived through the law, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And then listen to Paul again, that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There were five specific things that Paul mentioned gaining in Christ last week. The knowledge of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the power of Christ, the fellowship of Christ, and ultimately the glory of Christ. What we gain is the same. What we gain in Christ is incomparable to our fleshly credentials. So whatever fleshly credentials you may have, they don't compare to what you gain in Christ. So until we lay aside the desires of the flesh, we will never lay hold of Christ. This is exactly what Paul's getting at this morning. So let's look at the text together, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The first verse of our text today begins with a massive question that opens up our understanding for the remainder of the text. He says, not that I have already obtained it. What is the it in verse 12? Well, some have suggested that it's perfectionism. And by perfectionism, by perfectionism, I mean reaching a level of sinlessness here on earth through perfect knowledge and obedience to God. But Paul says, despite the fact that he had the knowledge, the righteousness, the power, the fellowship, and the glory of Christ, he quickly disclaims any idea of spiritual perfection. He wants us to know that he's not perfect. He has not reached moral perfection. He has not reached spiritual perfection, even though he is a new creation. Even though he has a new heart and a new disposition, which desires strongly the holy things of God. And even though he has union with Jesus Christ and a new mind, that is the mind of Christ. And even though he has a new standing before God and is accepted by God and entitled to heaven and has righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to him, it covers him. And even though he has the indwelling Holy Spirit who is the power of God, and even though he has promised future glory and indwelling glory in that Spirit, Paul says, I have not arrived. I'm not perfect. I'm still temptable. Paul says, I'm still the possessor of this unredeemed flesh. He's still a sinner. And though the text does refute the idea of perfectionism, the primary aim of the text is not to dispel the idea of perfectionism, but to encourage us to lay hold of Christ. So how do we lay hold of Christ? What does laying hold of Christ look like? 
I think laying hold of Christ looks like three things this morning that I want us to draw out from the text. And the first is this. Laying hold of Christ means pressing on toward the goal. If we are to lay hold of Christ, then we are to press on toward the goal. Now, the language, language sounds similar, but let's, let's break, it, break it down a bit. Philippians chapter 3, he says, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The main verb of the text, which is mentioned twice in the first three verses, is press on, both in verse 12, which is the first thought that Paul gives us here, And then again in verse 14, which is the concluding thought. Both times he mentions this word, or Greek word, press on. For us it's two. The idea of pressing on is set up for us in terms of a race. Just as a runner must press on to complete the race, so we, as believers, must press on to finish the spiritual race that we are to run in this life. He's setting up this picture for us. It's not a stretch here, it's exactly what Paul was doing. Paul's using his own walk as an example for us to follow in our pressing on in the faith toward the goal. To press on definitely insinuates that there must be action on our part. Often, we're going to find, especially moving forward in the rest of Philippians, that a bunch of imperatives begin to fall on us, these commands that we're called to obey. Press on is one of those, that we would press on, that God is calling us to action. Would you describe your relationship with God as pressing on? Or is there a satisfaction in you where you have arrived spiritually? How would you describe yourself? Do you feel like as you fix your eyes on Christ, as you, as you begin to assess your own spiritual well-being, would you say that you see the need for pressing on? Or would you say that you are satisfied with where you are at the moment spiritually? Do you feel that you've obtained a comfortable position with God? The question is, what was Paul pressing on toward if not perfectionism? He was pressing on so that he may lay hold of something, according to the text. But what are we to lay hold of? Paul says in verse 12, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. To truly lay hold of what it is we're supposed to lay hold of, we must first see that we've been laid hold of by Christ for this purpose. Now, the language sounds maybe a little confusing, but I think you can follow with me. I think you can see in the text. I'm not going to confuse you with it, but let's read it again. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of. 
So we were laid hold of by God for a purpose. What was that purpose? For us to have any chance of laying hold of what it is that we're supposed to lay hold of. Well, let's not beat around the bush any farther. Let's, let's just make it clear what it is that we are to lay hold of. We're to lay hold of Christ. We're to lay hold of Christ. But for us to lay hold of Christ, we must see that Christ must first lay hold of us. It is this pursuit of Christ that Christ has laid hold of us for. The reason that Christ has ever laid hold of us is so that we would press on to lay hold of Him. We cannot ignore the only reason that we would pursue Christ is because He first pursued us. We love Christ because He first loved us. Remember that apart from Christ, we are helpless. We're ungodly rebels before Christ laid hold of us. We were enemies of God. God-haters. And Christ died for us to reconcile us to God. He regenerated our sinful hearts. He granted us faith and repentance. And was, it, this was not of our own doing, but all of God. And while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2 says, God sovereignly made us alive together with Christ. By the grace of God, we have been saved through faith. If you have come to God in any other terms or any other way, you have not truly Come to God. You're not saved. God must apprehend you and make you his own. You cannot save yourself. But God must save you despite your rebellion against him. God lays hold of us and draws us to himself. But again, let's ask the question. Why did he lay hold of us? What does Paul say? We should lay hold of that for which we were laid hold of. Brethren, he says in verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So if we are to grasp, if we are to put our arms around, if we are to grab hold of that very thing which God has purpose that we lay hold of, then we must do what verse 13 says. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. After reminding us again that he has not yet laid hold of Christ fully, he gives us more instruction. Paul says, there's one thing that I do. One thing. If I want to lay hold of Christ, then there's this one thing that I must do. Paul is very focused here. His aim, his goal, his mindset is singular. He says one thing. Lay hold of Christ. I must lay hold of Christ. Christ has laid hold of me. Therefore, I must lay hold of Christ. How does Paul pursue this? And how are we to pursue this? How are we to pursue this laying hold of Christ? By forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The way that the Greek literally reads here is the things behind disregarding. 
And the things ahead, straining toward. The things behind, disregarding. The things ahead, straining toward. Here we see Paul's picture of the runner again. As a runner ignores his surroundings, especially that which is behind him, and focuses ahead of himself at the goal, the finish line, if you will. A good runner is not making the progress that he should be making forward if he's constantly looking over his shoulder. He can't see what's in front of him as he should. Paul's trying to draw that picture for us here. What exactly is Paul leaving behind or forgetting as the text suggests? All those fleshly credentials that he once owned. Paul is counting all things lost for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. That's how we know what the goal is. He's willing to lose everything else so that he may gain Christ. Therefore, what's ahead of him is Christ. More of Christ. He is counting all things behind him rubbish so that he may gain Christ. He is putting no confidence in his flesh. So let me ask you this morning. Are you disregarding your flesh? Have you set all those fleshly fleshly credentials that you might have behind you? It is impossible to lay hold of Christ if you do not disregard the flesh. Even if Christ lays hold of you, you cannot in turn lay hold of Christ so long as you continue to regard the flesh. Flesh is to be forgotten altogether. This is what happens to us when we shift into religious mode rather than pursuit of Christ mode. When we show up Sunday after Sunday or perform our time with the Lord day after day in religious mode rather than literally pursuing Christ, then we're relying on the flesh. And our eagerness for Christ Himself begins to dull. And we begin to rely on our good works and people's perception of us and our religious routine. So let me ask again, are you straining ahead so that you may lay hold of Christ? Are you comfortable where you are and trusting in your own fleshly credentials? Is your life characterized by a striving forward for Christ? Are you marked by a hunger and thirst for God as I prayed earlier? Are you daily communing with Jesus? This is Paul's one thing in life. To live is Christ. Isn't that what he said in Philippians 1.21? Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead is this one thing that Paul cares most about. And it's knowing Christ. It's gaining Christ. He's reaching forward so that he may lay hold of Christ. In our pressing toward the goal, we not only must realize that we are first to lay hold of Christ, but we must also disregard the flesh and strive to lay hold of Christ. We've been laid hold of by Christ, and we must disregard the flesh to lay hold of Christ. 
But I want you to see another part that Paul reveals to us in our pressing on to, toward the goal. If we're to lay hold of Christ, we must press on toward the goal. To do that, we must realize that we've been laid hold of by Christ himself. We must disregard the flesh, but we must also treasure the ultimate prize. We must be treasuring the ultimate prize. Paul says this in verse 14. I press on. There's the press on again. I press on toward the goal, which is Christ, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's so many crucial parts to this text that I could have titled the sermon a lot of things this morning. We went with laying hold of Christ. We could have titled the sermon pressing on toward Christ or Christ, the prize of God. Verse 14 presents for us, I believe, the heart of this this morning's text, which is why it's what we selected for our memory verse this morning that you see listed on your bulletin. It's probably a verse that you know well, Philippians 3.14, maybe even committed to memory, but it's also wordy and maybe hard for us to follow. But the thought is simple. The goal and the prize in one sense is the exact same thing. The goal is Christ. In all our pressing forward, in all our striving, in all our reaching, the goal is to lay hold of Christ. And when we lay hold of Christ, we find that our goal is also the prize. That Christ is the great treasure of our labors. The goal is to lay hold of Christ. And the prize is Christ. But there's a distinguishing difference between the two. That I believe is, the, is essential to our understanding of the text this morning. While Christ is the goal in our pressing on in this life, He cannot be fully known apart from our death or Christ's return. As much as we might be sanctified, as much as we might know Christ through the power of His resurrection, as Paul says, as much as we may know Christ through the fellowship of His sufferings, as we looked at in our, in our prayer text this morning, Paul said he was, he was marked with the marks of Christ. He was brand marked. We cannot fully know Christ until we see Him face to face in eternity. There's a difference in our comprehension of Christ here on earth and the way that we will comprehend Him in heaven. To me, this is the key of the entire discourse that Paul is belaboring to the Philippians in chapter 3. The prize is, for Paul, the realization of his lifelong passion. We know that Paul's passion is what? Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. But he says this, but to die is gain. Remember that? How is dying gain for Paul? Because he gets to see Christ face to face. He'll know Christ more fully. Yes, Paul was confident of the Philippians' sanctification, even his own sanctification. But I want you to hear more clearly the way that Paul prays what he prayed in chapter 1, verse 6, when he was praying for the sanctification of the Philippians. Listen to the verse again. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it when? On the day of Christ Jesus. Right? Paul was confident that they would be sanctified, but that 
Sanctification wouldn't be complete until when? The day of Christ. The day of His return. God will be perfecting you until the day of Christ Jesus, but you will not be fully perfected until that day. We are being sanctified by God in this life, but we will never reach that full knowledge and understanding of Christ until we are eternally with Him. Paul's goal in this life is to lay hold of Christ as much as possible, but the prize is an eternal glory with Christ. And there's a distinct difference between laying hold of Christ here on earth and having the prize in heaven. This eschatological goal or final destiny of his soul is what Paul is fixed on. He is thinking in terms of resurrection from the dead in verse 11. That's how he gets this whole ball rolling in verse 12. The goal of everything is to know Christ. Which in the present means to experience the power of Christ's resurrection as Paul participates in Christ's sufferings. Therefore, therefore, being conformed to Christ's death, which is marked by the cross, so that we might also attain to the resurrection from the dead. And without skipping too far ahead in the text, it is precisely this thought in chapter 3, in verse 21, which we conclude with today. This is Paul's prize. This is what he treasures above all. Glory with Christ. Have you thought about that? That our prize, our prize as believers who have pressed on toward the goal, for those of us who have the joy of laying hold of Christ in this life, as enjoyable as it is, the prize, the reward that awaits us is glory with Christ in heaven. It far outweighs anything that we'll taste. As sweet as the taste of Christ is here on earth, glory with Him in heaven far outweighs that. Do you find yourself ever daydreaming about eternally dwelling with God? That's an all right thing to do. Think about it for a second. That we, formerly sinful, rebellious God-haters, will one day, through the blood of Jesus Christ, enjoy eternally the glory of of God without hindrance. Being called up into heaven with the risen Christ, knowing Him fully without lack of understanding. This is what Paul means when he says, not that I've already obtained it. That's what he's talking about. That's the it. That Christ is the prize. This prize of glory with Christ in heaven. The it is fully knowing Christ in glory. We cannot know Christ fully on earth and the way that we will know Him in eternity. Therefore, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because he has not arrived at the goal, he is still pursuing this prize. And the good news is that even though we haven't arrived at our goal as believers, the prize is promised to those who persevere. The upward call of God is that He lays hold of us for the purpose of being with Him for eternity. That's the upward call that we've received. That He has laid hold of us so that we may be with Him in glory for all eternity. 
when God lays hold of us, it ultimately culminates in glory with Christ. When God lays hold of us, it ultimately culminates in glory with Christ. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The resurrected, the ascended, the exalted Christ is the prize. Dear saint, worship God over this magnificent truth. Eternity with the glorified King. Can you imagine? It'll be sublime. Christ will be stunning, transcendent, divine. Christ will be delightful, heavenly. He'll be altogether wonderful. That is our prize. That is our reward. Eternal joy. Because Christ first laid hold of us. We press on to lay hold of Him by disregarding the flesh and pursuing Christ our goal so that we might receive the prize of knowing Him fully in glory. Do you see it in the text? But Paul doesn't finish there. Though that's the apex of the sermon this morning, he has more instruction for us. So let's continue in the text, the text into verse 15 and 16. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. The second thing that I want us to see in our laying hold of Christ is that we must maintain a mature mindset. A lot of people go hard after Christ for a moment. We see that in the the parable of the sower and the seeds. A lot of people want to lay hold of Christ initially, but then they drift or wane or lose that grip. And since we spent most of our time this morning unlocking the key to the text in in verse 14, I want us to see the rest of the text more briefly this morning. And then use it as a springboard for the remainder of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So what we're going to study in chapter 4 has everything to do with what we're about to talk to this morning. So let's, let's grab hold of this. With the prize of Christ in His glory in heaven in view, the true, the true saint will persevere. According to the text, with this prize in mind, our entire mindset will change. The word perfect found in verse... 15 is the Greek word for, see if you've heard this before, teleos, meaning mature. If you have an ESV, then the word is more accurately rendered in your version as mature. Paul is saying that this is the attitude of the mature or the mindset of the mature. And it's this mindset that we must maintain if we are to truly lay hold of Christ. Paul is saying that this is the attitude of the mature. To never look back and regard the flesh, the past. We must maintain a mature mindset. The mature mindset is fixed on what's ahead, which is Christ. 
The mature mindset can only see the goal and the prize. To pick back up on the theme of the runner running a race, one of the mistakes that an immature runner makes is that he might look back and lose sight of the goal. But I love the promise that we find here in the Word that should comfort us as believers. Listen again to verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude. But listen to the second half of the verse. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. God is faithful to reveal to us where our mindset does not line up with His mindset. If our attitude is not the same as that of Christ Jesus, then God's going to reveal that to us. He's faithful to do that. Now what we do with it may be another thing, but God promises to reveal to us where our mindset is not like His. Just one chapter earlier, Paul tells us that we should have the attitude or the mind of Christ. That mindset is one of true humility and full obedience to the Father. For us to maintain a mature mindset, we must see ourselves in relation to God as Christ did. Remember, Christ seeing himself in relation to the Father and humbled himself. Christ denied himself, so must we. And not falsely assume rights for ourselves. And like Christ, we must be a bondservant, as Paul says of himself, to Christ and the gospel. And we must be even, like Christ, be willing to die. Because he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, We can have the mind of Christ, meaning that we can spiritually appraise things rather than see them from the worldly or fleshly perspective. Pastor Rick's going to love the language in the next verse this morning. I'm going to make him smile. I was gently rebuked for a sermon a few weeks ago for not pointing to the plumb line of Christ. That was apparently obvious in the text. Somehow I missed it. Well, I was informed of that. And so this morning, without having to force it into the text, we have Christ as the plumb line in verse 16. I want you to see it. It's really clear. I'm not doing this to appease Rick. It's there. Philippians 3.16 says, However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. The same standard? The same standard? That we are to keep living by is also the same standard to which we have already obtained. The only way that Paul and the Philippians or we can live by the same standard is if if we are looking at the same measure to set that standard, right? How can Paul and the Philippians be living by the same standard together? How can we as a body of believers here at Grace Church continue to live by the same standard? Unless the standard is the same. The measure or the standard by which we are to live by is Christ. Christ is the standard by which we measure all of life. Christ is the plumb line in which all believers are to look and to keep living. Every mature believer 
continually looks to Christ. All of us, you and me together, will behave in conformity to the same standard when we all fix our eyes on Christ. And when one of us takes our eyes off Christ, then we're not all living by the same standard to which we have already obtained. We must maintain a mature mindset if we are to persevere and to lay hold of Christ. Let's look at the rest of the text together as we continue into verse 17. Paul says this, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you, listen to Paul's love for people, that I now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is not only the letter in which, this is not the only letter in which Paul encourages others to follow his example. This is a common theme for Paul in other letters. In Galatians, the book that we've been praying through in the mornings, Paul says, I have pain until Christ is fully formed in you. And writing to the Corinthians, he said a couple of times, be followers of me as I am of Christ. And even the Apostle John said that if you belong to Christ and if you abide in Christ, then you ought to walk as Christ walked. I want you to pay close attention to the wording in verse 17. Paul says, brethren, Join in, meaning you are invited to join with others who are walking this walk. Paul's saying, I'm walking this walk and I want you to join in with me, brothers and sisters. Do you know what we, the, you know what we call when we follow an example of another believer? It's called discipleship. That's what discipleship is. It's when a mature believer comes alongside a younger believer. I'm not speaking age here, but in spiritual maturity and teaches them how to walk. They say, follow my example. Now, that puts more pressure on the one walking than the one following, the one leading rather than following. This is discipleship to join in observing the walk of a mature saint. So can I once again plead with you to all enter into a discipleship relationship? Some of you have been urged to do so, and yet you have not. As gently and lovingly and as pastorally as I possibly can, can I just encourage you again to pursue a discipleship relationship? There's many of you who are involved in that, and I'm thankful for that. I have the joy of those relationships myself. But I want to encourage you, if you're not yet connected in a discipleship relationship, to pursue one. Please don't let this persist. You are robbing yourself of maturing in the faith. There are many men, apart from the pastors of this church, who are mature enough and can set an example for you to follow. Find a man in the church. Allow him to disciple you. And ladies, this obviously applies to you too. Do not tarry without discipleship. There are many, many, many godly ladies in this church who can invest in you. Also believe that we have among us maybe even some young believers, perhaps early 
teenage years. Have you thought about discipleship? Well, I'm encouraging our young believers this morning. I'm speaking to our students. To go to your parents and to plead with them for discipleship. And I'm sure that your mom and dads have been pouring into you to some level. So maybe at this point, along with your mom and dad, it would be good to have someone in the life of the church who's not in the home to disciple. I'm I'm for that too. It starts in the home. It's the mom and dad's responsibility to raise up these children. But perhaps it would be very helpful for another adult to come alongside them and to disciple. So if you're one of those teenagers that maybe I'm addressing this morning, talk to mom and dad. For one to walk with the prize in view, I believe is the third way that we see ourselves laying hold of Christ this morning. And to walk within the prize in view means that we must be discipled. For one to walk with the prize in view, with Christ in view, is one who is being discipled. The reason discipleship is so important is because the alternative to walking with a mature believer is to walk with someone who's not a mature believer or to walk alone. And that's just not biblical. Listen to the contrast between the mature mindset and that of an enemy of God, one who would desire to be discipled and one who is not. Brethren, Paul says, join in following my example, but he gives more than that. He says, and observe those, that means there's others, who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So there's others to follow besides Paul. He says, you can observe their walk. But I want you to hear what he says in verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. Paul's language seems to insinuate that these many, for many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you that excuse me, even weeping that they are enemies of these cro- the cross of Christ. These many who are enemies of the cross of Christ that he refers to in verse 18 have formally shown interest in Christ but have drifted away. I'm not saying that Paul has never wept over the lost, but it appears that he knows these people and he's had some kind of spiritual interaction with them. He's not weeping over them because they are Pagans living as pagans who have never known Christ, but because at one point they profess to believe in Christ and they should know better than how they're acting now. We should, like Paul, weep over those who are not walking according to the pattern set by a mature saint. And yet, simultaneously, warn others against the example that they set. Which is exactly what Paul's doing in the text. Many in our day think that they are walking according to the ways of the Lord. But in reality, they are far from God. This is one of the great dangers, I believe, of not being discipled. Those who most often fall prey to initially grabbing hold of the things of God, but then quickly letting go is because they're not involved in some form of discipleship. They don't have a mature believer to pattern their life after. And so they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They become confused and 
They begin to look back at their fleshly credentials and the things of the world. And they lose sight of the goal, which is Christ, and the prize, which is Christ in His glory. Listen to the warnings that Paul gives. He says they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I don't believe there's a whole lot of commentary necessary here. They have a knowledge of Christ, but have made themselves an enemy to the cross in their immaturity. In contrast to the mature saint who will persevere and know Christ fully for all eternity, this immature person has knowledge of Christ but no faith and ends in eternal destruction. That's a heavy price to pay to know Christ but not to know Him fully. To know Christ but not to know Him intimately. To know the facts of Christ but not to know the person of Christ. What a tragedy. Their God is their own appetite. Their appetite for the things of this world becomes their God. Their flesh rules them. And rather than being ashamed of such behavior, they glory in it, according to the text, whose glory is in their shame. The very things that they should be ashamed of, they take delight in. They boast in that which condemns them before God. They view themselves as enlightened and free, but they are quite the opposite. They're blinded and bound. Their minds are set on earthly things rather than the eternal, glorious prize of Jesus Christ. Let's finish the text this morning. Yes, we must be discipled. Yes, we've been warned not to be enemies of the cross. But I want us to see that if we do persevere, what Paul was gazing at, back in verse 12 when he says, not that I've already obtained it, but I press on so that I may lay hold of Christ. Verse 20 says this. We don't set our minds on earthly things, but our citizenship, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of power, That he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul concludes by drawing our attention back to the eternal prize. In contrast to those who are enemies of God. These verses once again hit upon the now and the yet to come. Yes, we do have Christ now. We've been indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We do have Christ that we can look upon. We do have the Holy Spirit working in us, Christ-likeness. There is this sweet fellowship with the Father and the Son that we do taste, that we do have now. But there is the yet to come. Yes, we have Christ now. But we are eagerly awaiting the return of our Savior. When we will be, listen to the language, transformed by the power of God from this 
lowly body of flesh into our glorious body in heaven with Christ. It's a radical transformation. Think about that, that these imperishable bodies will be done away with and will receive an eternal, glorious body where we will be with Christ forever. The end of the text is vital in our understanding the goal and the prize, which he mentions back in verse 14. We are citizens of the king, which means we have Christ both now and more fully for all eternity. Do you see the picture that Paul is painting for us? Grace Church, saints of God, we are citizens of the King, which means this earth is not our home. We're strangers here, but we do have a home. We do have a home. It's in heaven with Christ. And it is that which we should eagerly desire. To know Him fully. We must press on in our faith. So that we may lay hold of Christ. Both in our present sanctification. But more importantly, for our eternal glory with Christ. He is our prize and reward. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you in your mercy and grace and kindness have granted us faith and repentance. You have laid hold of us. You have regenerated our hearts for those of us who have believed in you. And therefore, we have the great joy of striving toward the goal in this life, and that is to lay hold of Christ. But Father, what we treasure, what we long for is that ultimate prize. To be with you in heaven for all eternity. Glorying in and with Christ. Father, I pray that today you would help us to fix our eyes on the goal and prize. That we would see the goal of Christ. And that we would fix our eyes on the prize of knowing him fully. Work that in us. Dear God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.